remember the last day of the ACOG last year, I, I could have been brought in in a body bag. I was so, my hair hurt that day. And like, I can't even believe that they're going to ask me to do one more workout. And I, there was so much pain on my face on that last workout. Every part of me hurt. My guest today is Kathleen Staunton. She's the highest ranked athlete at my gym, CrossFit Bison in Midland Park, New Jersey. She's the only athlete to have made the top 200 in the world in her age division, two years running in the CrossFit Open competition. Kathleen works full-time as an advanced nurse practitioner for a large multidisciplinary group in internal medicine. I could not think of a better person to ask about work-life balance, medicine, and fitness than my friend Kathleen. Hi, Sam. Hi, Kathleen. How are hey, you? Sorry. Good. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing I well. Like, I was throwing a sweatshirt on. I'm like, I think he thinks this is casual, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not cocktail attire. No, that's right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, this is fun. Did you work out? I did. I, um, you know, the home wad and the bison wad were the same today. Yeah. And it's a lot of body weight stuff. And so uh, Sue's going to do that with Sasha. And I was like, I, and I wanted to work out in the morning. Right. Sasha's not working out before. Yeah. Like, yeah. Early. So, wow. um, so I just pulled some old wad from last year and I did it. It, it had some strict pull-ups and deadlifts and yeah. Like How about you? Yeah. I did the bison wad. I pretended I was chasing the, um, well, I was chasing the white tracks there at one end of the street and I'm at the other. Okay. See them. I just paced myself based on where they were at the 200. So every time they were running, I knew I was on point if I was running also. Oh, okay. Yeah. So sort of like a partner wad, sort of. Yeah. So if they were all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. It's all right. It works. It was good. And Terry did a stretching thing this morning, which was awesome. Yes. I totally missed that. I, cause that was right in the middle of me working out and I was like, well, yeah. uh, maybe she'll record it hopefully. So. I know. I will say one thing before you get going. It is amazing. Not only about the strength piece that we lose quickly, but I just want to turn this light on. Um, maybe that won't work. Um, it's amazing how much flexibility that we lose. Yes. Now we were talking about that just even in your front rack. So it was great to have her kind of move us around. And even I'm sure you have been sitting more than you've ever sat before. Yes. Sit. <laughs> Yes, and yes. so even I've noticed my hip flexors are just so tight. So it was good. It was really good. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I was just, before we started, I was just trying to remember what, do you remember the first time we actually met? Like, yes, no, no, actually. Um, oh, no, I, I do. I do. I do. I do. Oh, you do. Um, yep. Um, I, had purchased a 10 pack and so did um, Susan's sister and you guys might have as well. And we were just sort of like dabbling in at Bison. We were in and out and I know, so Susan's sister is a big runner and she was, yes. I think she was training for the marathon at that time. Yes. Or, had, or training for a half or something. Anyway, so we were dabbling and only had 10 like a 10 back to kind of play around with. And so we would randomly run into each other. And I remember standing at the old whiteboard, all four of us together. Um, and then we were talking about it. So it's kind of hard. We want to know what the workouts are. Because 
we want to know since we only have 10, mm-hmm. we don't want to waste them. We want to do, we want to see what it's about and really see if we like it. And that's when we first met. Okay. Shortly thereafter, maybe I'm incorrect that maybe you guys didn't have a 10 pack, but I know that your sister-in-law did um, because I did. And then after I might've gotten through half of that and I said, I oh, forget it. I'm just going to join. I really like this. Um, and I remember Taff like jumping up and down that I didn't have to cherry pick anymore. <laughs> this is great. And then in true Taff fashion, he was like, I can't wait to put on 30 pounds of muscle. <laughs> That's so Tafaro. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So I want to say we weren't like, you know, the first OGs, but we it was pretty, you know, they were pretty new. Yeah. That was like four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Got it. All right. Cool. All right. Well, let's just get started then. So okay. I'll probably intro you separate. So right. want to thank you for joining me on the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you being the very first person. You were the very first person I thought of when I said, I need to find someone interesting who can share a lot with us. <laughs> so um, I know, let's talk about work a little bit because I know that's the biggest thing in, in everybody's lives usually, or at least some of the most time that we spend. So you work as a, an advanced nurse practitioner for a multidisciplinary group in internal medicine. Right. So... so um, why did you join or why did you end up doing what you do? Like, what was it that motivated you to do that? Uh, so I was initially out of college. I was a staff nurse. I worked at Memorial Sloan Kettering forever. I thought I'd be there forever. Um, and then I became a nurse practitioner, was still working there and 9-11 happened. And Essentially, my husband just said, you know, you really need to come to this side of the bridge. And I had a family friend who had been asking me for years. She's an internist and she was asking me for years. You really should think about coming to work with us. Um, We have a great practice. And at that point, it was um, a women's health um, group. So we had obstetrics and women's health and internal medicine. So I wound up joining them. And from there, then now I'm in this larger group. So what did you wish you had known when you first started out in medicine uh, that you know now? Oh, um, I would say internal medicine is just, there's just so much to know. There really is so much to know. Um, It takes a long time really to, when you start to practice, there's just, again, there's so much to know. I think, um, I do think that I went about it the right way in terms of where I worked and all of the medical surgical experience that you get, you really have a lot to draw from. And I remember even when we joined the practice that I'm in now, um, I still had so much experience from being in acute care, as opposed to all the other internists that were there who have been out of acute care for over 15 years. I had a lot to bring to the table that way. I will say, um, I mean, that's a positive, uh, I, I, I caution those who go the route that I do and become PAs or nurse practitioners and just continue through their education without having any hands-on experience to draw from. I mean, it seems like you do need sort of an encyclopedic knowledge for internal medicine because you deal with so many conditions and there's so many run of the mill routine things, but then there's also like the weird stuff that pops up. And if you're not sort of vigilant, like 
you could miss all these little odd things that happen. Absolutely. I think if in hindsight, I, I'm thrilled now that I'm in such a, in a multidisciplinary group because of the knowledge base that's there and how much that we learn from one another. All of the rheumatological issues that I never even knew about when I first started internal medicine. And just to have them as a resource, it's really just increases your own knowledge base. Do you feel burnt out at all? Or do you see that in others? Like, how do you deal or manage it in yourself? Or right. what do you see with others when they when they feel burnt out in medicine? Yeah, that's a big, um, and I, I, I think now in the world that we live in now, I think it's more common, um, sadly, and maybe where we live also in the Northeast, it's a pressure cooker here. So you um, are thrown into scenarios where the expectations are very high from the patient population, from the organization that you work with. And I think it takes a lot, um, and again, just the way, the way we're paid, the way we, the way we have to work in terms of productivity, that adds to the pressure. And I think um, you have to be able to care for yourself and um, pour back into your own glass. And I teach my patients all the time that they can't pour from an empty glass. So you have to constantly fill your own cup um, and really just center yourself to be able to give to your patients. Um, one after the other and in a different, different sense, because each person needs something different. How do you fill your own cup? I fill my own cup with exercise, no doubt. Um, And with my family time for sure. Um, Mm. I do need a little alone time to kind of decompress because what we do is very, can be very high strung. And I don't like to go from a high strung scenario to another high strung scenario because to give all day sometimes can really drain you. So you have to be able to either have a little alone time and some breathing and just decompression time, even in just silence is a good thing sometimes. Yeah. That's very helpful. Um, so who have you seen either a colleague or maybe a patient in your experience that really was a pivotal point or really touched you or sort of made you realize you're really glad to be doing what you do? Um, I, I have so many, actually. Um, I will say, going back to when I worked in acute care, and cancer is a huge part of where I worked, um, and there was a very young girl who had a horrific ovarian cancer, and at the end of um, her life, you wind up with a lot of blood scenarios and she wound up in DIC and just was completely bleeding out. And it was two in the morning, I'm working overnight and I thought, and I'm the only one there. And you really feel that you are being put in this scenario. Like there is a reason why you are there. And there's a reason why I was there as opposed to anybody else. Um, and I felt from then on, like there, I definitely knew I can take care of any sort of emergency and just kind of breathe through all of that um, and really help people in ways that most can't. In terms of colleagues, I have so many that I learn from, um, both men and women, and how they deal with emergencies or how they deal with difficult scenarios or what I do love are when respected colleagues flat out say, I don't know. I'm going to find out for you. We're not supposed to know everything. 
love when people are honest, even with me and saying, I don't know, I've never seen that before. Let's dive into that together and see if we can educate ourselves. I think those uh, middle of the night moments where you feel like you're by yourself and you're taking care of someone in the hospital is those are sort of you got to put your adult pants on and really, you know, you don't have anyone else to rely on. Mm -hmm. You're sort of it's a life and death situation and you're sort of trying to figure it out. And those are very, very scary moments. But you're right. Those are memorable moments where you can sort of see how good you are as a clinician and, and what you can do. And, you know, if it's successful, then you feel like you've, you've literally saved somebody's life in that situation. And sometimes it is so, um, you know, you know, it's game time and you just have to go, you just have to keep moving and you know, you know, you just pull from your, you pull your bootstraps up from the bottom and you just roll and you just keep going. And with each scenario, something will happen and the code happens and this is late and this isn't on the code card and you have, you know, you just roll. And you, because you have to. Yeah. Experience helps a lot with that. Yeah, no doubt. Too. Yeah. So you mentioned about, uh, you had lots of, uh, positive experience, experiences with both men and women in medicine, but, um, there are a lot of challenges that women face specifically in medicine, uh, that men don't necessarily face. And so right. what are some of the challenges you've seen, uh, in your career, both early and now, you know, more advanced, uh, being a woman in medicine? I would say they're probably the same, sadly. Um, I mean, when I first started, I would definitely say as much as I hate to say it, I don't necessarily feel that, um, women's voices are taken in the same context as the man's is from both patients and other colleagues. Um, now, sometimes I even feel that patients, when I'm sitting with them, <clears throat> will refer to me in a different context than they would a male physician, or they would feel that they could say some things to me that I don't necessarily they would with a male physician. I think now the stage of my life that I'm in, I'm in this ever never ending quest for balance between my family and my career. Um, but I do think early on in my career, I found it difficult to stand up and be heard. Um, and that's a, you know, that's a learning curve. You have to learn to do that and stand up for yourself and your patients and be their advocate. Um, I do remember, um, a fellow wanting to cardiover a mentating patient and I had huge issues with that. So, and I would say it over and over and over again. And I remember leaving the room, like pulling my hair out, like this cannot happen. This cannot happen on my watch. This is not going to happen, but he is big and forceful and loud. And I was getting nowhere fast. So that was a big, that was a learning, definitely a good learning environment there. And how about now? How do you deal with that now after having dealt with it for so long? Um, I, I, I have to say that I'm very respected um, from many in the community. What I find now as an outpatient practitioner, um, I can run into some issues with, it might be a generational thing. So maybe sometimes physicians that are much older who never had to work with a nurse practitioner in the hospital don't view me the same as they would 
a, a physician, a male physician even, or a female physician. Um, but I think sometimes it's a generational issue. So I would like to say that it gets better, but not always. And that, that's like everything in life though. You know, I think when I've worked with you uh, at the gym, like when we've done training, I've noticed you get your point across, at least when I've seen it, by being pretty persistent. So mm-hmm. like when we've done training and you're like, I, you know, we could sort of, you know, like there was one day you presented a wad and you're like, you know, we should let's let's, you know, it was on a weekend we were doing a prep and you're like, let's let's try this wad. And I was like. I looked at it. I was like, oh, this looks horrible. Can we like, can, okay, we'll do it. But maybe we, can we break up the, the reps so that we're doing some of this mov- movement, this movement, this movement. And you're like, yeah, if you want, we could do that. But then you came back around about a minute or two after <laughs> that. And you're like, uh, you know, when they did it for their ACOG training, they just kind of went straight through and they didn't split the reps. Like, do you want to just do it that way? And then I was like, okay, this is what Kathleen really wants. She's not going to be a, a jerk about it. But I, but the fact that, you know, I could tell this is what you really wanted to do. And I said, okay, I understand that. And so, so you have a way of saying it without like being a bully or being like obnoxious. It could just be, but that comes with like being the oldest child, I think. But um, I, I mean, even with my patients, I'll say the same thing. This is my recommendation. I'll listen to you, but this is my recommendation. And I, I think I can acquiesce with a lot of things. I can roll. But um, in terms of how we work out, I think, you know, and in, in anything in life, if you prepare, the better you're prepared, the better off. So. So true. Yeah. So what do you see now that bothers you the most in medicine or that you think needs to be addressed in medicine that you see? Oh boy. You know, just, I guess without getting too nitty gritty, I mean, the, the, um, the hard thing now is with really insurance companies, right? It's so different. We used to be able to be more small mom and pop and one-on-one. And now so many things are insurance driven, which is so challenging. Um, you know, older patients and being on, Medicare and being in the donut hole, they don't understand that at all. So that piece for me is beyond frustrating. I know it's hard to care for people if um, it's just too insurance driven. You can't really. And and the day that I really start to do that is the day that I should probably walk out the door. So I do kind of bend the rules a little bit and because you have to, they don't know, you know, you're put there to help them and they that piece is just challenging for me. I can't just let them try and figure it out themselves. Um, I don't know what the solution is, but I would agree with you that so much of what all of us do is shaped by coverage and insurance. Yeah. Like it, it's always somehow touching whatever it is, what we do, even the way we work with our EMRs, the way right. we arrange for, say aftercare after surgery or when we can do surgery or you know um medications right what whatever it is it 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 it's not that i agree it's not the day that it becomes so restrictive that we can't do what we're supposed to do is the day most right. um people will walk out the door in terms of healthcare but you feel it kind of squeezing more than it ever has a little bit 
Yeah, no doubt. And so hard to look at people in the face. Oh, wait, I just lost you for a second, Kathleen. Hold on. Much that you can do for that. Um, as much as we try. And like I said, that's why I try and extenuate my rules. <laughs> but it's hard. That's very, that's gut-wrenching. Yes. Yes. You just cut out for just a second there, but I caught what you uh, okay. were saying. <laughs> uh, so other than work, one I know the biggest thing for you are your family and also your friends. Mm -hmm. So you have a husband, Joe, you have yep. a son, Owen. Mm -hmm. um, so your son, Owen's now in high school. So how do you approach life now differently than when you did when you, when Owen was young, you know, now that he's um, becoming a young adult soon himself? Yeah. Like, what's your perspective on that? Um, well, I can definitely say uh, even when he was a, a newborn, I could work 12, 14 hour days and I felt more comfortable as much as I wanted to be with him. I knew I was on a shift work, so I knew I would get stretches of time with him. Um, and I worked longer when he was younger, no doubt. And now I feel, again, like I say, I'm always in this never ending quest for balance. I, I love what I do professionally, but I need to be there uh, for him, for his, his games and his, you know, I get to go around one time. And so I feel that um, where I work and what I do makes me a better mama, but I need to be there for him and work will be there later, but I need to definitely be there for him. What kind of advice do you give Owen about work, career, what he wants to do, what, what he's leaning towards? Maybe sometimes you can see that early in, in kids. Yeah. But, I mean, I, we have a lot of, uh, again, he's a singleton. So he, you know, we say that there are three chiefs, no Indians in this house. So he'd be a great attorney, <laughs> but I think it's important that I do work. And I think it shown him, uh, the value of what I do and persistence and, um, how to persevere. And I think that piece is important that, I want him to, I want him to look up to me for that, that I do something and touch the world and I do have a career. I guide him in that I don't, I want him to just be happy, but I want him to make some sort of difference. Like you've got to be able to touch something, somebody do something. Um, we're not here to just exist. You know, whatever it is that you do, whether it be in medicine or if it were law or build something or, you know, touch somebody, touch some, some sector, some group, some person, anything. And make an impact somewhere. Yeah. So you have to make an impact and be happy. And then not everybody totally loves their job. Everybody's got a piece of that. That's, you know, normal, but to be happy overall, be happy and choose wisely. You said you had that never ending quest for balance. So what are the little things uh, that you do that you think you've learned how to stay efficient about balance, about work and family? Right. I set some time limits for myself. Definitely when I'm, uh, you know, charting at home, I only give myself so much time. Even on vacation, uh, my husband would give me, if we would leave for two weeks and go to the beach, for example, he would give me two days. And so you have two days, you can check in, 
tidy up where you are. And then the rest of that time is for us. So, and so that really helped me sort of focus and you can get, as you know, you can leave your office and come home and chart and be chirping all night and it, it, it just keeps rolling. It's always going to be there. It'll be there tomorrow. Um, so I give myself time limits and then I give myself, I'm trying to be forgiving. Also, if I can't get to all of Owen's games, you know, this year, I said I would make do my best to be at all the home games that I didn't have to be at all the away games. That was very time consuming and taking away from my responsibility there also. So that also showed Owen, you know, I have a responsibility. I can't just leave that. I can give you this much, but we do, when you make a commitment, this is my commitment and it's an important one. So I just try and give myself an outline and guidelines and timeframes. That's good. Yeah. Structure is very, very helpful, Um, especially with sports. I mean, some of these tournaments are like four (laughs) or five hours. (laughs) So you have to split it. Like, you know, you, so you got to figure out ways, but you're, like you said, it's like, you, you know, yes, you have to have some structure and and some thought into it. Um, So I know that your friends are very important to you. They're very supportive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you support your friends a great deal. And, I, and I've seen that in during the pandemic, you running by everyone's houses or them stop, you know, running by your, or even if you're wadding, like you said, down the street, like, what do you appreciate most about your friends? And what is it that you think is important for you to do for your friends? I think it's a, you know, a two-way street. I think the most important thing for me is um, just unconditional, unconditional love and validation. You know, there, everybody's going to have their moment and it's important for me um, to have that validation when I can't be there or I can't even be there for them or I'm stuck at work or I can't be involved in this. And um, just, I guess to have friends who validate what I do and how I do it and my, and I will say my um, dearest friend in the world, she knows that I need my time. I need my time to go exercise, go do what I need to do. Um, My fun, well, funny or favorite memory of her, we would drive to the beach and I would arrive like I had worked and, and we drove, you know, two hours in traffic and we get down there and, she's cooking up dinner and she said, you just need to go run on the boardwalk. And then you come back as my best friend because I came in like, <laughs> she's like, okay, go for a run. And when you come back, I know my best friend will be here. So she kind of knows like that. I need that outlet and they, you know, I need that validation from all my friends. I need, um, yeah, I need that release too to do with them. And now it's great to be able to exercise and work out with them. Um, I need that release with them just because, you know, they're suffering with me. <laughs> Have you always been an athlete when uh, even uh, growing up? Like, what was your experience uh, with fitness? Yeah, I would have to say I... Um, definitely was all my life. You know, that just that's a trickle-down family issue. My parents were both super athletic. Um, and that just parlayed into all of us being fit and athletic and constantly into something. Were you a runner? What did you do? Uh, I did run, but that wasn't my high school 
sport, but I did run. Um, and my dad was a big runner. We used to run a lot together. So he, um, he pushed that a lot too. And he always used to push a sport like that because he said it challenges your brain and it allows you to really focus and works that mental piece to give you strength. And he always said that people should do two sort of sports, a singleton sport and a team sport. Because oh. you, I didn't really need a lot of team sport because I had so many people in my house. So I learned how to be a team member. <laughs> <laughs> but his point is valid that you have to learn to be a team player, but you also have to learn to do a singleton sport, whether it's running or CrossFit or tennis or any of those, because it's you and a time clock or it's you against one other person. You can't blame your defense or your offense for losing. And you, if you're going against a time clock, like we do so often, or you're competing against yourself, there's no, there's no getting around that. It is what it is. So it does sort of, stra- you know, train your your brain to focus and stay mentally strong. And I think, um, you know, that helped me throughout my lifetime. What did you do before CrossFit? We just talked before the podcast of how we first met yeah. when you first um, started at CrossFit Bison, which which is where I, you know, where we are. And um, so. I, if you were a runner, what else did you do before you started doing CrossFit? Yeah, I used to run a lot. And then I did like high intensity training type stuff, boot camp sort of classes. Um, that was only recently, like as I got older though, too. I didn't really even start lifting um, maybe until a couple of years before I joined Bison. And, and lifting meaning um, like high intensity TRX bands, that sort of thing. But other than that, I just used to just run. So then what was it about CrossFit when you started that you were like, this is for me. This is what I have to do. This is, I find this better than whatever else I was doing before. Oh yeah. Right. I think the massive rush and the massive high that you get from it, um, it gets competitive juices flowing mainly because you are challenged with each time. And I was fascinated by um, what I couldn't, couldn't do. And so there would be things that I couldn't do. And I thought, who want to be able to do that? How can I get my body to do that? I think I can do that in my head. I think I can get there. Um, and so there was always a constant, I want to do that better. I want to be able to do that. That was so exhilarating. Who knew that I would be able to stand there and put that barbell over my head? I had no idea. I've never lifted that barbell, nothing. Who knew I'd be able to lift anything like that directly over my head? What, would you, what do you think the biggest challenge has been learning like movement wise in CrossFit for you? Um, I think because I started so late, I don't have the same sort of mobility that some do. Um, you mean movements? What's so challenging? I guess anything that's going to, you know, that challenges certain mobility issues that I have. Okay. So the barbell, you feel com- and- which you feel comfortable moving the barbell around? I do, but I don't move it as well as everybody else, as, as some, I don't okay. move it as well as some. Um, and as I get older, you know, I don't have the same sort of joint strength that I did if I was 25. Of course. How about rig work, you know, gymnastics stuff? Cause did you train as a gymnast in the, yeah. when you were young? Yep. You did. Yeah. Yep. What kind of gymnast training did you have before? So I did that when I, since I was little. Oh, really? And through high school. Yeah. Yeah. Competitively. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, it, sh- it shows. So all of that stuff, I think that really helps in CrossFit too, having um, body yeah. awareness and yes. all that. So. It does give you a lot of body awareness. Um, so what do you think about, so you said you get the competitive juices flowing, you have the time clock, you're sitting there, it's just you doing these movements. What right. do you think about when it gets really difficult in a workout? Like what, what, do you, what are you focusing on? Uh, I guess it depends on the day. Um, you know, again, from day to day, and as you know, it, and like everybody, everybody has certain days and certain weeks and how physically tired we are and whether or not we slept. And if we were able to eat, if we were, you know, there are days we weren't able to eat well or what have you. But um, I really try and keep my inner voice positive and just to keep moving, just keep moving, whatever you've got, just keep moving. I try and keep my inner voice positive. What is your go-to meal before and after workouts? I know you talk a lot about (laughs) your nutrition and and how that helps you. So what is it that you eat before and after workouts? I always, I need to eat. I mean, these people, this intermittent fasting, it works for some, it does not work for me. Okay. Um, I have to have a little like 25 grams of a carbohydrate and 25 grams of a protein before I eat. So 25 grams. So at least because otherwise I'm like midway through, I feel dizzy. I feel, you know, cause my body's kind of going through it. Um, so I would say, you know, I'm a big oatmeal girl, big egg girl. Um, and sometimes even if I have just a little bit of my protein shake before we work out, how soon before I need some time. Yeah. So when we work out early in the morning, um, if we're working out at six o'clock, then I've got to be up by five and out of the gate, I have to eat something. And it's so that you can digest it easily. Even if it's a little applesauce and a little bit of a protein shake, but I need a little something. Hmm. Now I know a lot of people look at you and they're like, you know, what do you do? Why are you so fit? And you, you, if you tell them CrossFit, do you recommend that for everyone? Do you tell people, you know what, you should always, you know, this is what you should do. Is this for everyone? What do you think? I do think it's for everyone. I really do. I think, um, if I show one more older person what they need to do every day for the rest of their life, I just sit in my chair and I stand up and I sit back down again. And I say, this is what you're going to have to do for the rest of your life. And this will work muscles for you that will, I mean, that's what it's, you know, all these functional movements that help us continue to have a good posture and to ambulate. I mean, if you've ever seen, I'm sure you have, you know, if you see these little old men and women try and get out of a chair and they're, they have kyphosis and they don't have any, any posterior chain muscles at all. And then they try and get out of the chair and they're limping away. And I mean, we're all going to age to some degree, but I'd like to do it a little more gracefully. And it's, that's challenging if you have let yourself go or just sit and you're sedentary, or even if you're not even that old, like people who are sedentary, it really will help you um, move throughout your lifespan and enjoy what you do daily. Mm-hmm. I think it's more beneficial for us to just move around. Are people receptive to that message when you talk to them? Well, I used to take um, 
Dave and Chris's cards and try and hand them out, but I can't really do that to everybody. Um, and I think they're more receptive when I say you need resistant training. And so anything that's going to give you mobility and you're going to be challenged to lift something heavier than a coffee cup, or, you know, even if you're lifting a five pound bag of flour, um, you need to be able to have some sort of resistant training, especially for women. It's great for their bone health, men and women for their bone health. Um, but in terms of their functional movements so that they can do their activities of daily life. It's so funny because I'm just thinking of uh, one of your friends in particular, when she came and watched you probably like a year ago during one of the open workouts and you are like, I don't know, clean and jerking some or doing thrusters at some insane weight. And she <laughs> looked horrified, like absolutely horrified. Like I can never do this. I don't know what possesses anyone to think I could do something like this. And I think you scared her off and I don't think yeah. she ever uh, came no, back. To yeah. Uh-uh, no. Yeah. Even my husband, he has a hard time. He said that he has a hard time tying his shoes, let alone <laughs> a thruster. So <laughs> I don't know if I'll get in there either, but we're working uh, I, on that. Okay. Um, so now at a ma as a master's athlete, what do you realize is so important for you to do that say someone at age 25 doesn't have to do or can do differently? Like, what is it that you think is super important yep. at, at your age to do as an athlete? Well, we talked about schedules for so many things. And I think it is just being scheduled. Um, we need to sleep well. We need to hydrate well much more than I ever did when I was 25 or 30 and I need to eat well. And at specific times it's hard and our, our careers are busy and there could be times where you're not getting to eat anything. And that's not going to bode well for me if I miss dinner and then try and work out the next morning. It doesn't work for me. Right. Um, I think ultimately rest, sleep, and definitely the rest D's because I just, you just can't get up and go. Stretching is really important. I don't recover the same way that I used to recover or I could use, I used to be able to leave my apartment in Manhattan and then just go run that six mile loop and then come back and flop on the couch and watch football and not do, and be, feel fine. Um, that doesn't happen. So how many hours of sleep do you get now regularly? Um, that's a challenge. I'm not a good sleeper. So that has always, that's, and especially as I continue to age, that gets worse as I continue to age. So that's very challenging. Um, what I try and do is just get to bed super early. So if I have sleep pattern disruption, which I normally do, uh, at least I've gotten some good hours under my belt before midnight. And then um, how many days a week do you work out now? Um, I guess, well, I move a lot. So we're moving every day and I like a good, you know, active uh, recovery day. So I'd love to at least get a run in or I play tennis or paddle tennis. And so I count those in as active recovery days, right. um, but I would say three to four mm -hmm. for sure. Okay. That's pretty good. And um, so let's talk a little bit about the open. So um, for those and who don't know what the, the CrossFit open is, it's basically, um, it's billed as the largest fitness competition on earth. Mm -hmm. Um, every year CrossFit HQ releases a weekly workout one, one a week for five weeks, people do the workouts and they submit their scores. 
and the top athletes qualify to compete for the CrossFit Games. So those include like the fittest on earth, like Matt Frazier or Tia Claire Toomey. So for the past two years in a row, you were in the top 200 in the world for the CrossFit Open. Um, this year, you were 124th out of four, over 4,000 athletes, aged 50 to 54. And you were actually 85th top athlete uh, in your age group for the USA. So um, the difference with the open and um, for uh, masters and teens and mm -hmm. the regular group between 18 and 35 is that you get to do a second qualifier, which I'll get to in a second. But I wanted to ask you about some of the open workouts that you did. Um, and I think the thing about the, about CrossFit that is different than some um, sports is is that you have to be consistent over a broad range of um, time, uh, modalities, movements, and so mm -hmm. forth. So just to, to explain very briefly how the Open is scored, um, it's scored on a point system. So if you scored first in an event and then a hundredth in an event, your score is 101. If you scored 50th, in the first event and 50th in the second event place, then your score would be a hundred and you would actually beat the person that scored first place in an event and a hundred in the second event. So, so being consistent is way more important than um, leaning into your strengths for CrossFit. So you are one of the most consistent athletes that I saw um, at our gym in terms of your spread between your highest ranked event and your lowest ranked event in the open, it was no more than about 35 places. And so, you know, do you focus on, cause so many people at gyms focus on their strengths, right? So if they're good squatters, they show up for every squat workout. If they're good runners, they show up for every running workout, you know, and then they, you know, for everything else, they either just scale it or don't try to work on it. Like, do you lean into your weaknesses when you, when you focus on CrossFit? I definitely try to, um, I, I almost have a uh, feeling when I walk in thinking like, Oh, today's the wall ball workout. And that's the only reason I'm here. I'm terrible. At that. <laughs> I really do try to, because I am, I would love to have a, a super strength where I'm amazing at that. And they're so easy for me. Um, so I try and make sure that I, if my schedule allows, I really do try and get to the workouts where I need the most work. What, what do you think they are other than wall balls? What else do you feel like you need wall most balls, more work? Thrusters, ring muscle ups, thrusters, anything with a deep, anything with my posterior chain. I don't, you know, it's just, that's a, always has always mm -hmm. been a challenge for me. I forgot to ask you, what do you, what has been your worst injury um, that you've had in since you've been crossfitting and, and how did you recover from that? Um, I get tweaks here and there all the time. Don't we all? Um, I did have a shoulder issue, I think over a year ago. Um, and I was probably off the rig for maybe five months. Do you remember how you got that shoulder injury? I think it was just over time. And it was probably a tendinosis that just, you know, had some, it wound up I know it was impinging on my bicep tendon. I had horrible pain all through my bicep. I couldn't even raise my arm. I was off that rig for a long time. And I remember how happy I was when I finally could actually do a strict pull-up, let alone any sort of kipping involvement. Um, 
I did a lot of active release therapy on it, but it was a long time coming. And I still, I mean, we're not symmetrical beings. Everyone's going to have an issue. Even my, you know, mobility in my left shoulder isn't as good. Um, and even now we all sort of, I'm more now, I hold everything a little more narrow than the average person because I don't have that a great, you know, I don't have great mobility. That was a long time for that. How long do you, would you say? I, I would say it probably was half a year Wow! off the rig for about five months. I couldn't do, you know, I couldn't do toes to bar. I was just doing leg lifts. Um, that was a long time coming because I, and I was in severe pain. Uh, how, how frustrating was that to deal with that? It's, it's awful because what, what happens with CrossFit is that you love all of it and you want to be a part of all of it and you sort of get down on yourself, but when you're really sidelined, but as you slowly come back and you realize, well, I can do this and I can modify doing this. I remember I couldn't do wall balls because I couldn't throw it directly over my head. So I had to do squat cleans with the wall ball. And I kept thinking, this is actually great. This is like, really, my legs are getting so much stronger from this. So I'm happy to do this. It's almost harder than doing the wall ball, but I'm happy that I can do this. So I remember talking myself off the ledge a lot in terms of you're getting better at this as a, even if you do this piece, you're getting better at this. I think that's great advice. I think, I think that attitude probably more than anything else physically helps rehab or recovery. It's that attitude of, you know, patients working around it, you know, staying positive. That's, that's tough, but that's tough when, like you said, you're, you, you have some severe injuries, but that's a good lesson to learn. Um, so let's talk about last year's, um, open a little bit, just because, um, everyone, a, a lot of CrossFitters went through it. It was a pretty horrible, I mean, some of them were very challenging. Let me rephrase. Yeah. Some of them were very challenging workouts. Um, so your, uh, let's see for 2020 in the open, your best, uh, event was 20.1. The first one, it was uh, 10 rounds for time of eight ground to overheads at 65 pounds, 10 bar facing burpees, time cap 15 minutes. You were in 151st place in the world. You got nine rounds plus eight ground to overhead. So you were just short 10 burpees. What did you think of that workout when you were doing it? When I saw it, when it first came out and I saw it, I thought that's really not going to be so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And then we're thinking, there's some reason I'm really not breathing all that well. <laughs> this is so hard. Um, and I think workouts like that also teach you patience. Like you, had, I had to realize I have got to slow myself down and keep my heart rate down so that I'll be able to finish. Um, it was great. It's always a challenge. Um, anything like that that really pushes your body to the limit and you're in so much pain. I find that's a a great, I love that piece. It's always so mentally and physically challenging. I didn't think it was all that hard on paper. And then when I started it, I, I stand corrected. (laughs) Yeah. You had to go pretty dark on that one, I think to get, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So then, um, the other two events I wanted to talk to you about were ones where you were able to get one rep at probably something that was extremely challenging. The, the, Mm. the one was, um, 20.4. 20.4. So it was basically uh, 30 box jumps at 20 inches, 
15 clean and jerks at 65 pounds, 30 more box jumps, 15 clean and jerks at 85 pounds, 30 box jumps, 10 clean and jerks at 115, uh, 30 pistols or single leg squats, and then 10 clean and jerks at 145. And then it kept going five clean and jerks at 175, five clean and jerks at 205. So you got, um, through all the box jumps, you got through the clean and jerks up to 115 pounds. You did 30 pistols. And then you got one clean and jerk at 145 pounds, which we talked before the podcast. I can tell people your body weight because it's actually <laughs> publicly listed on the CrossFit That's Open yeah, yeah. <laughs> because of the ACOG. And your body weight's at 119 pounds and you were able to clean and jerk 145 pounds. Is that your PR? Oh, no doubt. Yes. Yeah. So how were you able to do that? That's the thing that you love about CrossFit and you love in that competitive environment. You, I think I was so pumped from the pistols. I don't do them frequently. And it's, again, it's that, oh, look what my body is able to do. Look what, I've, what I'm able to accomplish from all of the preparation that I've done throughout a year and what my body can actually go through. So I was pretty pumped about that. And then, um, listen, it's a hard that's a heavy, I knew it was a heavy weight and you just have to focus and try and not listen to anything else except maybe your coach's voice in your ear and just get angry and get there. And just, sometimes you just have to do it. Um, you know, and you do the best you can with what, whatever God given talents you have. Um, I just really, really wanted at least one of those. No doubt. And you got yeah. it. So the same thing happened for 20.5. So that was the um, 40 muscle, you, you can partition it in A1, 40 muscle up, ring muscle ups, 80 cal row, 120 wall balls, time cap 20 minutes. And you got through the 80 cal row, the 120 wall balls, and then you got one ring muscle up, um, uh, which, which in this workout, again, talk about um, yeah. being balanced, getting that one muscle up jumped you at least 30 places in the open, if not more based on your time cap or time break or tie break score. So getting that one basically pushed you up or guaranteed you to be in the top 200. So how did you feel going through the 80 Cal row and the 120 wall balls? How did you partition that by the way, before you got to the ring muscle ups? I started on the ring muscle ups. Oh, you did. Yep. I was going to give myself um, again, I was giving myself a minute and I was just going to do, figure out what I could do and then just get back on the rower for a while, do the wall balls and then go back at a later time. Um, so, you know, they are my arch nemesis for sure. It is definitely a goal of mine to, you know, try and make yourself, make your body do something that, you know, learn something new. We always should be learning something new. Um, whether it's physical, mental, wh however, whatever. Um, it's just a goal of mine to continue to work on that. And that was, you know, that weighed on my mind. I will say with something like that, and I take my um, gymnastics training, um, uh, this is what I did as a kid, even as a kid, I remember being 10 years old. You have to look at yourself doing it mentally over and over and over again. And if you see yourself in your mind doing it, you have to be able to see yourself in your mind doing it. And then inevitably, then you have to then just say now physically, I can put myself through this. So that's definitely a skill though, that is so incredibly challenging for some, not for 
present company excluded. No, for all of us. Um, uh, but for me, it was so challenging. So I just, I wanted to give myself just a little bit of the time so that I knew I wasn't going to stand there and beat myself up for the entire time. You know, do it, see what you can get out of it and then move on. Did you, so did you get one and then move on? Yeah. And yeah, the first one I didn't, uh, failed and went through the rings and I was like, all right, I'm there, get up there, just go. And then you'll be under your minute and then you can hop on the rower. Got it. So then the reward for qualifying for the top 200 in the CrossFit Open for the Masters is, is that a couple months later, there's a second special qualifier called the Age Group Online Qualifier, the ACOG, where CrossFit HQ releases this year six more events, which need to be completed over four days. So they release it on a Thursday, and then you complete them all by Monday. And then those are the top 10 of that group of those top 200 that um, then get to participate in the CrossFit games. And I remember, so this was your second year that you've done this. Mm -hmm. And I remember you were so zeroed in about prepping this year for the ACOG. And so what were your feelings about that? You were, you really, really wanted to make sure you were sort of ready for the ACOG. Right. Because we had no idea what to expect the year before. We had never done it before. So I didn't really know what to expect. And I felt this year going into it, I felt um, stronger on a certain level. And I really wanted to push myself. Um, you know, you really have to be able to do in a very short period of time, really press, you know, stress your body like it's never been stressed before. And so I wanted it to be aware of that stress and how, and learn how to recover moving forward. So that I remember the last day of the ACOG last year, I, I could have been brought in in a body bag. I was so, my hair hurt that day. And like, I can't even believe that they're going to ask me to do one more workout. And I, there was so much pain on my face on that last workout. Every part of me hurt. And I didn't want to go into it this year being so miserable thinking if my body was a little bit more recovered, I'd be okay. You're supposed to be fatigued and supposed to be very stressed. Um, but I really wanted to train my body to feel that way. So I knew how to kind of approach each workout as it came. That's so true. It's about not the actual event. It's about the prep for the event. So um, that's where all the hard work comes in. If you have to do, if it has to be so hard on the event day, then, you know, the prep work wasn't really sort of Right. And the prep work came in, in terms of, you know, because we did it together, the prep work was so mental also. Yes. Even much. what we were going, what we were preparing for, and even all the practice workouts, so incredibly mental and emotionally involved. Like you're really vested. Um, you really had to prepare yourself and how you were eating and how you were sleeping and worried about um, the workouts that we were gearing up and trying and practicing. Um, you know, there were a couple of tears even prepping. There were some that were so hard and so heavy. We would look at each other like, this is insane. <laughs> this was- is the hardest <laughs> thing. And this is a, whose idea was this? <laughs> it's so true how challenging some of them were. And even with some of the audibles Dave called in the middle of the prep stuff that yeah. like it was, I've, 
I, I haven't really done a lot of com competitive fitness training, but that was probably some of the best fitness training or prep training, which means it was some of the most challenging and difficult. Artist, yeah. 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 So yeah, for sure, for sure. So then when you got to, when we got to the ACOG, you crushed, absolutely crushed, um, 20.4, which you got, you scored 58th place in the world in, which was the three rounds for time, nine bar muscle ups, 18 toes to bar time cap 12 minutes, you finished in 1113. You ripped through that faster than, I mean, short of some of our younger, like crazy athletes, <laughs> like you blew by, you know, everyone in that, in that workout. So like, what was that for you? And this is for you who just told me six months prior, you couldn't do a wall ball. Yeah. Yeah. Or a year before that. Yeah, it was fun. I, in hindsight, I wish I had um, done a little bit better. I remember ripping at the end of that um, and talk about people who just do anything in the world for you. Our coach was like taking his shirt off, like giving giving me his shirt to wipe my bloody hands on. Um, was that it, Dave? Uh, Dave's yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's like, just take my shirt. <laughs> um, his, it was hard. The first two rounds, I remember you and I were both having fun. And then the third round came in your body. They really know what to do in terms of stressing your body and how much the human body can take over time. Because in that third round, your everything just completely starts to fall apart. I watched that workout of us. And I love watching the first round because we both look great. And then oh, yeah. by the third round, I'm sitting there failing, 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 watching you failing the bar muscle ups and you're still going. And I was like, all right, I got, I, all right, let me turn this one off now. Let me just rewatch the first round of this one. <laughs> so. Yeah, that one was fun. And knowing that it was short, that too is always mentally, you're in pain, but you know, it's going to end soon. Yeah. Forever. That's one that I, I know that that's a wake up one for me that I need to if I don't do better on something like that next year, I would, I'd be very upset because that, that showed me where, uh, that, that showed me up pretty bad, but that was great. I was, I was I so impressed watching that. Um, the other one, which was a real sort of dig in and, and, and I know you were worried about it. You, you were, it was on your mind a great deal beforehand was the last one, uh, 20.5, right. um, 106th place. That was very, um, that was awesome. It was two rounds for time. 10 deadlifts at 225 pounds, 20 deficit handstand pushups at a three inch deficit, 30 front squats at 65 pounds, time cap 20 minutes. You got through one full round and then three additional deadlifts at 225. And I remember looking over at you doing these deadlifts and everyone's cheering. You're, I mean, I have never seen so much grit in somebody's face pulling on those deadlifts. So, so, I mean, there were tears, there were tears. I just needed, it was probably the most, the hardest thing I've ever, ever done. It really was so challenging. Uh, but again, it, it had some fun things in it too. Like I've never done a deficit handstand pushup. So I was excited to even try that. That was the first time we even tried that. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just, you know, it just really pushes your body. And that's again, going back to why we love it so much. It pushes you to do things that you could, that you never thought you could do. Um, and you give it your best shot. You do what you think you can, but I think that we are coached so well and not that we've ever, 
had to do a deadlift that heavy, but you're coached so well in terms of the movement and how to actually approach a movement like that, that if you utilize the correct way that you're supposed to, um, you know, your body's probably stronger. I think we're all stronger than we actually think we are. Um, but I was really worried. That was a pretty insane <laughs> number. Well, and I think it shows to the, for I me, mean, for me. right. No, absolutely. For anybody, um, especially at 119 pounds body weight. But I would say, I think for me, the worry had always been, if I do that many deadlifts at that weight, what am I, am I going to destroy myself? And right. I will say that you, the next, when did you work out again after the ACOG? When was your next workout? Like, uh, uh, like one or two days after that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So you were actually reasonably recovered enough after yeah. that whole crazy four days to keep working out a day or two after that. Right. But I think should- that speaks to the coaching that we had in the prep leading up to it, that our bodies had learned already that on how to recover and what we were doing for ourselves in terms of supplements and recovering and eating well. And that that's the reason I think if we had gone into that blind we might still be on our backs from those. Yeah, things. no doubt for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's the, I, I know yeah. that for sure. Yeah. And then there's always a little frustration for everything. So like mm-hmm. the one rep max clean and jerk, which, uh, you know, you hit 131 pounds, um, which was still good enough for 119th place. And then I remember after that, you're like, we got to redo this sometime. We got to redo it. And we're trying to figure out when with all the other events we have to right, do. Right. And then finally after 20.5, and we did that, those deadlifts and the, and we're just like, we didn't even talk about redoing it. We were okay right. where, where we were, but how did you, how did you feel about that? You had hit 145 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at some point in the past. Yeah. I mean, I- in the open. In hindsight, so everybody works out differently and everybody um, moves differently and warms up differently. And I think if we had a little more time and I could just, I think I would have reversed the day for me. Now, not everybody, it doesn't work that way for everybody. You know, some people need to do certain things to be warm. I think if I had done that first, that would have been a higher number. Um, And it wouldn't have stressed me as much. We did some really heavy thrusters prior to that. Right. Minutes prior to that. And the, again, um, everybody's different and that's a heavy weight for me, from me and where my strengths are. So my, um, you know, I still had so much adrenaline and so much, um, my muscles just didn't have enough juice and didn't have enough glucose (laughs) in the cell anymore. I don't think I just really had nothing Mm -hmm. after I had really stressed it to such a degree. So, I mean, I did the best I could. I really, you know, and that's what, that's what the whole thing is about. You have to under stress like that. You, you know, you need to be able to do the best you could. And again, leaning back to our coaching, we were there. And as long as I did the movement correctly, I was still able to do that number, which is still, you know, good number. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <laughs> but in terms of, I didn't get hurt. My point is it's not, right. you know, you're doing this. This isn't, this isn't a joke. You have to be able to do this correctly. And it's, yes. not, uh, you know, a bro session where you're just kind of throwing something around willy nilly. Like you have to be able to engage certain muscles and utilize this correctly to be safe and 
I need, we need to be able to work outside of this. We need to be able to walk and stand for our, for our career. So, uh, you know, we have to be able to follow our coach's advice and say like, this is exactly how we have to do this in order to be safe and to continue to get better and to continue to be healthy. No doubt. My thoughts. Exactly. You, you cannot just grip it and rip it. You, you the, yeah. and, and these movements, like you said, are honed over time because little inconsistencies eventually will, will result in problems. And if you do move right. cleanly, right. you can push things right. and still be safe. And, and I think that's one of the big takeaways I saw watching you, you know, um, push to the limit and, and, or watching anyone sort of push to the limit is, right. is right. yeah the, the safety aspect of it for sure. Um, so now that this is all done, what is your goal coming up for next year? Personal, professional fitness. Yeah. Um, Um, I have a lot of, uh, personal and I mean, I have a lot of professional goals in terms of where I want to be in my career. Um, which is great. I still want to continue to do what I'm doing and help other people. And I have a lot of ideas moving forward. Um, you know, personal goals, I, in terms of CrossFit, you mean? Sure. Definitely need to work on, um, that, you know, progress in different domain issue. Um, I'm on that, um, same speed kind of person, which is really what I need to work on. You know, any sort of sprint is not my strength and I need to work on that. Uh, that definitely has to get better for me. Um, you know, I can do, uh, I'm into your typical people laugh. I can run probably 10 miles in the same amount of time that I run the 800. So I just, I'm just a go kind of, you know, just get there and go. I'm not a great sprinter and I'd like to be a great sprinter. Right. And I think the longevity, the health benefit of that will help me also. Yes. Learning. Yes. Learning how to gear your body for sprints Mm-hmm. That I have the same sort of issue. I, I have one pace for everything and um, I never get warmed up well enough to really sprint well, but you're right. I think there are some huge benefits to being able to sprint health wise, like you said, right, to, right. you know, rapid stress, rapid, you know, um, uh, sort of uh, performance. Uh, and I think, uh, that's a very good goal. So how do you plan on sort of achieving those goals? So I think moving forward, I'm going to have to speak to all my coaches also, you know, I think, um, I need to be pushed in that area. I can be, I can, I can do a 20 minute wad, no problem. And that wouldn't bother me at all. They don't, they don't bother me, but the three minute wad, (laughs) the most painful, painful for me. And I need to be pushed through that pain. I need to be told to get in that pain because it's hard to just say that you're going to put yourself in that scenario. You really have to be in the right mindset. And it's hard to do that every, you know, with every time. So I need to be pushed there. Um, and I am going to, I'm going to be forgiving, um, of myself because I am getting older and it isn't an excuse, but my body doesn't respond the same way. Even my cardiovascular status is not the same as it was when I was 25. It's really not. Um, there's nothing I can do about that. I'm still maintaining my health. I'm still doing the best I can. So I'm just going to try and increase my VO2 and, you know, do things that, that push that and work that. 
you know, you've jumped up every year in the ACOG. Next year, you're on track to be somewhere <laughs> in the top 90 oh, or no. so. I don't know. We'll see, but because I keep getting older. So you keep getting younger people getting in, <laughs> getting older. Well, that is, that is true. <laughs> so Kathleen, thank you so much for oh, talking Sam, with me. Great. I learned so much uh, listening and sort of hearing your experiences. I mean, a lot of stuff that... You know, we and we've worked out um, together for you know weeks. You know, every weekend for yeah, know. you know several months, and and I'm still listening to what you say. It, it really a lot of it resonates and sort of um, you know, especially since I've seen you push yourself, um, I see exactly how your mindset that you talk about now translates into your performance, which is which is amazing. Um, is there anything else that I should have asked that, uh, that I didn't ask so far? No, other than letting everybody know that how amazing that you are. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I, I was, it was great to, I mean, trust me, it was awesome to see you push. Uh, I've never probably had a training partner that was so upbeat, that was positive (laughs) that, um, like, you know, regardless of, you know, whether you're crushing it or not crushing it, like you just kept pushing for everything. And, uh, and you were like laser focused. Like I never saw you deviate ever from whatever it is that you had your mindset on, which, which, um, as a, as someone who's working out next to you training, it's like, that helped me say, well, man, I got to get my, (laughs) I got to get my game on too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so do what you right. love and love what you do right yes exactly yeah, thank you. yeah. so thank you again kathleen and you, uh, look forward to seeing you back in the gym hopefully soon yes yeah no doubt and uh have everyone in your and you and your family please stay safe yes and to you all right thank you so much kathleen. thanks sam all right take care later.